0: Good morning. A very, very warm welcome uh, to you all to our service uh, this morning. Uh, It's fabulous that uh, you've been able to join us and a very warm welcome to uh, those of you who are watching online and a particularly warm welcome uh, if you're visiting uh, or if you're here for the first time. It's great uh, to have you with us. Uh, today is uh, Mothering Sunday, and uh, in the midst of the service today, Karen will be leading us uh, in a short reflection uh, on Mother's Day. I know that for some, uh, Mother's Day is a day of a great delight and rejoicing, and for others, it's a day of, uh, of much pain. So it'd be uh, good for us uh, to reflect on that later. Uh, Neil will be continuing our series uh, on the journey to the cross through Lent uh, as we ready our hearts uh, to remember uh, the death and the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus uh, at Easter. So we look forward to uh, uh, Neil unpacking John 18, 12 through 27 uh, for us. Uh, and let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, let's commit uh, this time uh, to the Lord as, uh, as our uh, act of worship. Uh, there's a great... Uh, A great truth that we read in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul writes this in verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you so much uh, for the good news of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that all that you have done for us in and through the Lord Jesus is the reason that we are here, uh, to... Uh, worship you, uh, to come before you, to offer you our hearts and our lives. So by your spirit, would you minister to our hearts this morning? Would you stir them afresh uh, with the good news of the gospel? And might we uh, long to live for you, to glorify you in all that we do. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray for the world in all its brokenness. And we pray for your church persecuted around the world. We thank you that the good news of the gospel of Christ is your power unto salvation, a power that transforms lives. We thank you for the witness and boldness of Christians in countries where being a Christian means they risk everything for Christ. We thank you that you're using the witness their witness, to bring many souls into a living relationship with you, rescuing them from death and bringing them to eternal life. Please, would you continue to give Christians in those countries boldness to speak of the Lord Jesus? As they feast on your word and hold fast to it, might they be encouraged in the face of persecution to remain faithful to you and delight in seeing you bring people to a saving faith? And we pray particularly for the people of Pakistan this morning and ask that you would use your servant Imtiaz powerfully as he travels to that place later this month. We pray for nations experiencing the ravages of war and we pray particularly for the people of Ukraine. We pray for you to change the heart of Mr. Putin and his generals that they might seek peace and a complete withdrawal from Ukraine. Would you please place a desire in their hearts to bring a swift and peaceful end to the conflict? We pray that the pressure placed on Russia by the rest of the world would bring an end to the conflict. We pray for the families mourning the death of loved ones in the conflict. Please, would you comfort them And for the families that have been separated by the war, sometimes thousands of miles from husbands, brothers, sons and fathers, please would you sustain them. Father, we pray for your church here in this place. Uh, We thank you for the way you've been at work in our midst, for the way that by the power of your spirit and through your word we have seen you bring so many people to yourself. With so many churches up and down this land, abandoning your word to chase the culture, would you please help us? Help us to taste and know the goodness of your precepts and the nourishment of our souls by your spirit and through your word. And would you please place in all of our hearts a deep yearning for you? Would you help us to grow in spiritual maturity that we might trust your word and stand confidently upon it? As we grow, please help us to stop our grumbling and seek to glorify you as we love one another, living in unity around the gospel. Help us to be daily in your word and expectant, hearing from you in our hearts. And help us to be constant in prayer. Please, would you help Becky as she comes to read to us? Might our hearts be ready to receive your word? And anoint Neil as he speaks that by your Spirit you would stir our hearts afresh with the good news of the gospel. We pray for the work you're doing in our midst with those recovering from addictions. We thank you for the many people that you have drawn to the open meetings. And pray that you would draw many more to them. That they might begin a journey toward freedom from their addictions. And we pray a journey that will bring them to a living relationship with the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the heart of those that lead that ministry. Please would you grant them wisdom to know how best to balance the needs of those being ministered to. With the needs of their own families. Help those of us who aren't part of that ministry. To be an encouragement to those who lead it and to be people who warmly welcome all those you send to this place. Where we pray for those in our fellowship who are mourning. We bring before you the crack family this morning. Would they know your presence with them, particularly at the memorial service on Tuesday of Jen, Deb's mum, and encourage their hearts with a certain hope of the resurrection. We pray for those awaiting test results, procedures or recovering from illness. We bring before you Ewan, Simon, Leslie, Lawrence and John. And in a moment of silence in your own hearts, raise before God those who you know who are in need of God's healing power. We pray for the parents of young children in our church. Father, would you give them the joy and peace of a life filled with your love, the love that they need in order to encourage their children in the faith? Grant them the wisdom they need to know how best to teach their children without exasperating them. Grant them your strength that they might be constant, persistent, winsome, and faithful in pointing their children to Christ. Please, would you equip them richly for that important ministry and empower them by your spirit. And would you please protect the hearts of the young people from the pressures and trappings of the world and bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our saviour. Amen.
1: Our reading this morning is from John chapter 18, verses 12 to 27. And if you have a blue Bible, that's page 1806. And if you're looking at a large print blue Bible, that's 1647. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple Was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of the men's disciples, too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood round a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas, sorry, then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a cock began to crow.
2: Thanks, Becky. Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, let's pray. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Father God, we do pray this morning as we read and study Your Word together. That You would Equip us by the power of your spirit to be able to do this. What do you expect of us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we celebrate um, Mother's Day today, do spare a thought for Rebecca Sharabu. Five years ago, her daughter Leah was among the 110 schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram in Nigeria. A month later, she heard the sound of girls' voices and vehicles uh, driving past her house, and she ran out uh, excited in anticipation that she might find her daughter. As she she searched, amongst the hundred or so girls who had returned, she wasn't able to find her. She did find two of her friends and, and asked them, what had happened to Leah? And they said, Boko Haram told Leah to accept Islam and she refused. So they said she would not come with us and uh, she would go back and sit down with the three other girls they had there. We begged her just to recite the Islamic declaration and put the hijab on and get into the vehicle. But she said it was not her faith. So why should she say that it was? If they want to kill her, they can go ahead, but she won't say she's a Muslim. A couple of weeks ago, we heard from Imtiaz about uh, Christians in in Pakistan who live in constant danger as a result of their faith. As Imtiaz said, what makes them able to do that is that they fear God more than they fear man. In Acts 4, we read how the apostles Peter and John were arrested, put in prison for the night because they had been speaking to a crowd. About Jesus. The following day they were brought before the Jewish rulers who commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And we're told they replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I wonder how you feel when you hear these, these stories. Um, part of us probably feels, wow, that is amazing. What an inspiration. I would love to follow Jesus, follow their example, and stand up for him in that way with such courage. But I guess if we're honest, it may have the, the opposite effect. It may make us feel, actually, we're just failures. We're, we're just cowards. But If that's you, then this passage this morning will hopefully be an encouragement Because the man who, despite being put in prison, got up and told those Jewish leaders, I don't care what you say, I follow Jesus, and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. He was the same man we read about in our passage today who was afraid to confess to a servant girl that he even knew Jesus. And hopefully we'll be encouraged that the change that that happened in Peter can happen in us too. Even though Peter denied Jesus, Jesus still loved him, He forgave him and he restored him. And Peter went on to establish his church. So there is hope for each one of us because God is a loving God and God is a powerful God. Before we get into the passage, let's just remind ourselves of where we are on the journey to the cross. Uh, Last week we saw how Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter took out his sword to, to defend him but was told by Jesus to put it away. Because it was all part of God's sovereign plan that he would be arrested. Jesus is then bound, and he's taken away. And then in our passage today we have these different scene shifts you'd like you'd have like you'd in a film, we're following what has happened to Jesus, then we're focusing on Peter, switch back to Jesus, back to Peter again. And all these events are happening quite quite quickly. This is Thursday night, Friday morning. The rush is because Saturday is the Sabbath and the following week is Passover week. A body could not be left hanging on the cross during that time. So if the authorities are to to get Jesus executed, then they need to act swiftly. And it's not just the action that's so vividly described, it's it's the characters involved There are three characters or sets of characters we're going to look at this morning. And from each of these, we can learn something about fear and what our attitude towards God should be. And hopefully we will see just how much more important it is to fear God than fear people. And the first person we're going to look at is Peter. And in this incident, we see that Peter fears people more than God. Peter's the one who has, um, up to this point, always seemed intrepid. He appears to have great confidence, no fear. Let's turn back to chapter 13 of John's Gospel, verse 33, if you've got your Bibles open. And here Jesus says this. He says, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I'll lay down my life for you, Peter declares confidently. You can trust me. I'll be with you right to the end. And to be fair, when the soldiers come, he's the one who draws his sword. He's the one ready for a fight. But now Jesus has been arrested and that courage seems to have evaporated. He still follows Jesus with another disciple, but is at a distance. He's hiding in the shadows. I'm not sure who the other disciple is. Some think it might be John, but he appears to have some connections with the high priest. He's able to gain access for himself into the courtyard. Peter is left waiting outside at first until the other disciple has a quiet word. And he's allowed in. Look at the question, though, that Peter is asked by the servant girl in verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? It's just the servant girl who's asking. It's not being questioned by one of the high priest's officials or anything like that. The question implies that uh, the other guy with Jesus is a disciple. She knows that. He hasn't tried to cover that up. But the way the girl phrases the question to Peter almost makes him give the answer that she's expecting. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And sure enough, he replies, I'm not. Now, if you're a Christian here and you you read this, you're wanting Peter to say confidently, yes, I am, actually. In the same way, if, if you were in that situation, You know what the right answer is, but would you have the courage to say it? I wonder what's going through Peter's mind as he he blurts out that answer. Maybe he's thinking, well, she caught me off guard. I, I didn't have time to think before I gave her the answer that she was looking for. But he's got another chance. A little later in verse 25, Peter's standing around the fire And this this time the question comes again, but from more than one person. You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? What's he going to say this time? He's had time to reflect on, on the last question. He's had time to resolve this time to be brave, to stand up for Jesus. But once again, it says he denied it, saying, I am not. Or maybe third time lucky. This time, a servant of the high priest, a relative of a man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenges him with a more specific question Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter's already told two lies. He's getting deeper and deeper into it. Every time he tells a lie, it becomes harder to change his story. And this time maybe there's there's a greater fear that the man who's asking him is trying to find out who the guy is who cut off his relative's ear. And so once more we're told that Peter denied Jesus. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Just think how Peter would have felt after the rooster crowed, as the words of Jesus came back to, to haunt him, Imagine the guilt, the shame. It's a scene that many artists have tried to capture over the years, a famous one being this one by Karl Bloch, who shows Jesus in the background, looking in sadness, but I think also compassion towards Peter, who has his head bowed in shame. As we will see, Jesus has no shame, He stands before his questioners and speaks the truth clearly. He's not afraid of the consequences. But Peter is full of fear and shame and lies. And the thing is, if we are Christians, we can probably understand exactly the fear that Peter is feeling. We've probably been there ourselves, haven't we? What are the ways in which we might be tempted to deny Jesus today because we fear people more than we fear God maybe you've simply kept it quiet that you're a Christian at school or at work you think well at least I haven't lied if somebody asked me I would tell them but nobody's asked me maybe you're asked what you did at the weekend and you said well I enjoyed the rugby Um, we celebrated Mother's Day of course that's all true But why did you skip over the fact that you went to church? Maybe your friends are talking about Christians in a a derogatory way and you you just keep quiet. I'm sure we've all been in similar situations where we may not have lied directly, but out of fear, we fail to stand up for the truth, the one in whom we believe. Well, the good news is that this is not the end of the story. Jesus is going on to be crucified, to give his life for us. And that allows us to be forgiven for, for every sin we have committed, including denying him or pretending that we, we do not know him. When Jesus comes back to life, he goes on to forgive Peter. He reinstates him, as we all look at him in a couple of weeks' time. But let's come on to the Jewish officials They fear losing power more than they fear God. Jesus, we're told, he was bound. He's brought first to Annas, who we're told in verse 13 was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And commentators will tell you that Annas was previously the, the high priest and still carries a lot of influence. But why did the authorities decide to arrest Jesus in the first place? What prompted that decision. Well, For that, we have to go back to chapter 11, verse 45. If you want to turn in your Bibles to that. And this comes immediately after Jesus has brought Lazarus back from the dead. He's performed this incredible miracle. And it says there, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. What are the Jewish officials worried about? Well, their strategy of trying to challenge Jesus and discredit him had obviously failed. The miracles continue to happen, even to the point of bringing somebody back to life. Jesus' support amongst the the people was growing. And what the authorities feared was that there would be an uprising and the Romans would put it down. In the process, the temple might be destroyed, direct rule by the Romans imposed, and the Jewish leaders stripped of their power. The Romans, they say, will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So the overriding concern seems to be what they personally will lose, their status and their power. They're acting not like religious leaders, but political leaders desperate to cling on to their power and authority. And there are plenty of people around like that today, aren't there? Not just the the despots like like Putin, political leaders in our own country, and not just in politics, but in all areas of life, we see control freaks in, in the home guilty of domestic abuse. In the workplace, bullying and manipulating. Well, coming back to the Jewish leaders, if Jesus is the problem for them, then what do they do about it? Let's read on in chapter 11, verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize. That is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now the Jewish leaders know it's wrong too to murder someone, that goes against the Ten Commandments, but they're trying to justify it by saying the safety of the whole nation is at stake here. We've got to get rid of this guy, Jesus. Now the huge irony in that statement that John, the author here, is pointing out is that Jesus is going to die for all nations, but he's choosing to die, and by so doing, he will save them from dying, not by protecting them from the Romans, but by saving them from God's judgment that they and we all deserve. As he said to Peter in the garden before being arrested, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? That cup is the cup of God's wrath, his judgment that humankind deserves, but which the Father has given Jesus to take instead of us. And he's willing to take it because he he loves us. We're going back to John 18 and the the high priest's courtyard. They've now arrested Jesus, but they need to find him guilty of something. And so, verse 19 says Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Has he led them astray? Has his teaching contradicted the Jewish teaching? Well, in his defense, Jesus says, look, I have nothing to hide. I've always spoken openly. If I've taught something wrong, then there will be no shortage of witnesses to come and tell you, where are they? To which he is slapped in the face by one of the officials who thinks he's shown a lack of respect for the high priest. Typical human reaction when people don't get their way or realize their own guilt, they resort to violence, whether it's physical or verbal. Now we might be outraged at the behavior of the Jewish authorities here, but how might we be guilty of similar behavior? When we become angry about something, why is that? Is it like the Jewish leaders because we're afraid of maybe losing something important to us? What are the things that we fear losing more than we fear God? Maybe for us it's control as well. We like to get our own way. We get frustrated when somebody gets in the way of that. Maybe it's our position, our job, our money, our comfort, maybe our popularity. Jewish officials fear losing power more than they fear God. Well, let's come on to the other character in this scene. It's Jesus. Jesus fears no one because he is God. Jesus is the one who's really in control, as we, we heard last week. And so he continues to speak the truth. He continues to demonstrate integrity, even in the face of serious Injustice. You may recall from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And here he's putting that into practice. doesn't mean, though, that he can't point out evil, that he can't point out injustice when it occurs, which is why he replies, look, if I said something wrong testify as to what is wrong but if I spoke the truth then why did you strike me the reason Jesus is able to respond with such calmness is because he knows what is going to happen everything is under his control Jesus has been brought before Annas to be questioned but actually it's Jesus who ends up questioning Annas Unless there's no answer to his question, so he sends him off to Caiaphas. Even when he's bound, Jesus is the one who is in control. And well, that's a wonderful reassurance for us today, isn't it? In our country today, it feels like the, the agenda is being driven by those who do not believe in God. It feels like Christians are being sidelined, it feels like Christian values are being eroded. Sometimes it's easy to think, well, where is God? I wonder whether that was part of Peter's issue. It was fine when Jesus was going about doing all his miracles, winning the debates with with the Jewish leaders. He was happy to be counted as one of Jesus' followers then. But now Jesus has been arrested and bound like any common criminal. And he's failed to do anything to resist. Peter's probably thinking, is he really God, after all? Would God allow himself to be treated like this? And I wonder if we sometimes feel the same. We lack the courage to stand up and be counted because it feels like maybe God is not really in control. So what changed between this scene of a timid Peter denying Jesus and the courageous Peter standing before a court months later, unafraid to be counted, as a follower of Jesus. I think there are two things. One is the resurrection. Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death. Just as he had promised, he came back to life. And when Peter saw the risen Jesus, he realized that Jesus had been in control all along. This was all part of his amazing plan. And secondly, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, gave Peter and the other Christians the courage to stand up for Jesus. If we are Christians here this morning, we have both of those things. We we know that Jesus came back to life. We know that He's won the battle over death, and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when he, human beings do evil acts today, we don't need to fear that God is not in control. He's still there. Justice will one day be done, even if we have to wait to see it. And that applies at the global level, when we see wicked tyrants like Putin wage war. It applies at the local level, in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our communities, where where bullies seek to exercise power and control. Let's not be afraid to, to challenge injustice when we see it. Let's not be afraid to stand up for the truth, whatever the cost. Because God is a God of justice. He's a God of truth. And we don't need to be afraid. Let's support Christian organizations like Open Doors and make our MPs aware of Christians being persecuted worldwide. In this country, as Christians, we are in many ways in a similar situation to the early disciples because we are in a mon- minority. But who we follow doesn't depend on who seems to be in control but who really is in control. Do we believe that God is in control when he's disregarded in our country, when his people are persecuted in other countries? Kay Forbes, one of the candidates to be the new leader of the SNP in Scotland, knows who is in control. She's not been afraid to stand up for what God says in his word about marriage about gender, about the life of an unborn baby. And some have criticized her for not being more politically savvy, but she's not afraid to stand up for her beliefs because she knows that being a follower of Jesus is more important than becoming a political leader. And if God wants her to become a political leader, then you know he will make that happen anyway. So as we finish, if... Right now, we are where Peter is in this scene in terms of fearing people more than God. Let's look to the resurrection. and Let's ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we have the courage to stand up for Jesus. If we are mothers, if we are fathers, what are we praying for our children? Are we praying that they'll be healthy, They'll do well at school or university, get good careers, be happily married, have children, all good things. But is that what we want most for our children? Or do we pray that they will fear God more than people? That they will be unafraid to stand up as followers of Jesus Christ and say the same as Peter did later on, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Let's pray for Leah Sharabu's parents who are inevitably still distraught that their daughter is a prisoner of Boko Haram. They continue to pray for her release but they say openly that they are proud of their daughter, that she did not deny Jesus as her personal savior. Let's pray. Father God, we are sorry where we have denied Jesus, where we've been afraid to stand up for him, where we've been more fearful of people than you. Lord, forgive us and give us, we pray, the, the courage to stand up for him. Give us the courage to proclaim the good news of salvation that can be found only in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be faithful witnesses for him. Thank you that you demonstrated that you are in control, that you have power over death as you raise Jesus to life. Thank you that you poured your Holy Spirit out on your people. May you fill us with him and give us the boldness to proclaim his name. For your glory's sake. Amen.